Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. song comes from the Protestant Reformation, where they were saying that in Christ alone is where we find salvation, not Christ plus anything else, but in Jesus Christ alone. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? Amen. Let's go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word. You know where we are. We're in 1 John chapter 2. The title of our sermon today is Truth and Lies. Truth and Lies. Now, we're going to read what we covered last week. Um, I don't know if I made it perfectly clear or not, but the couple of verses we covered last week are a part of a bigger section, uh, and we're going to cover the rest of it today. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and read the entire section so that way we can have uh, what we covered last week fresh. On our minds. If you would, please stand with us one last time as we read the Word of God. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. This is the Word of God. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will, be able, will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Thank you, God, for your word. Let's pray. God, we come before you again praising and worshiping you uh, with the song of Christ in Christ alone, fresh on our minds, fresh on our ears, fresh on our lips, Lord. We pray that you received that as a sweet offering this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray that Christ alone would be glorified today. We pray that we would make much of Jesus in our time together today. 
We pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would open up your word to us, that we wouldn't just spend the next 45 minutes or however long we're here together just doing church things, but that we would dive deeply into your word, that we may know you better and glorify you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Can everyone hear me through this, by the way? A little bit? Some yeses, some noes. Okay, let's bring this a little bit closer. How about now? A little better? Okay. Let's try that. I'm not sure what's going on. Okay. So let's uh, spend a little bit of time doing a recap of where we have been. If you remember back to the very beginning of this book, we read in when we covered verses 5 through 10 in chapter 1, and you can flip there if you would like, but at verse 5, he says that this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's important for us to, to keep that uh, at the forefront of our mind, especially today, uh, because Basically, all of 1 John is just John unpacking that, uh, we could call it a thesis statement. He's basically just unpacking that statement for the rest of 1 John. And that's why he's drawing such a hard line throughout these verses that we've been covering, is because God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John makes that clarifying statement, it's a qualifying statement, to really re-emphasize and reinforce the statement that God is light. How many of you know he could have just said, God is light, and that's enough. He could just say, God is love, and that's enough. But John, as we have seen, makes these uh, qualifying statements or these re-emphasizing statements to really reinforce what he is saying. And it's very critical that we catch that. God is light, we understand that, but let's go even further. That means that there is no darkness in him at all, not even a little bit, not even a shade. So it's important for us to keep that in mind today because this, our, our section is certainly downstream from that idea, from that mountaintop, if you will. Last week we covered verses 18 through 20 that we read here at the beginning and here we saw John once again drawing the hard line. Verse 19, he said that they went out from us, but they were never of us. We learned that John was talking about people who were drawn away by false teaching. And I will reemphasize today, he's not saying people who went from First Baptist Samaria to First Baptist Jerusalem. That was not what John is writing. So we should not interpret it that way today either. Unless a person is going from a church that teaches sound teaching to a church that is full of false doctrine. Then certainly that could apply, and we'll see that today. It'll make more sense as we cover our passage today. But they went out from us showing that they were never of us. John was saying that they were never in the faith at all. And God allows, as an act of providence and grace... False teachers, these what he calls antichrists, to raise up, infiltrate the church, and draw away people who are false converts. This is an act of purifying 
the bride of Christ. That's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, but that's where John said that they went out from us, that it would be made plain that they were never of us. In other words, so we could all see that they were never truly in the faith. Now, in our section today, what John is doing is giving us an idea of some of the false teaching that was taking place. He really says it pretty clearly. And he also offers us some encouragement, doesn't he, in verse 21. So what we're going to spend our time doing today is we're going to look at the, the, the nod of encouragement. Then we're going to look at three different characteristics of false teachers. And then we're going to look at three deterrents to false teaching, all from our passage today. So let's look at verse 21 together. In verse 21, he says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. We'll call that section A and section B. John is saying, I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth. This is a word of encouragement for this church. How, 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 how is this encouraging? Well, let's think about it. Let's remember what's happening at this time is this church, these churches, these early churches are, being, are seeing a mass exodus, aren't they? We learned that from verse 19, that people that were going out from us. This must have been a significant event because it was important enough for John to cover in this letter. Listen, guys, those people who left the faith, it's okay. They were showing that they were never of the faith. So it's important enough. It was a significant enough event for John to include this in his letter. And now he's turning to the church and saying, listen, I'm not writing this to you as a letter of rebuke. This isn't a letter of get your act together, guys. The church at Galatia would have really appreciated something like that because Paul opens up that letter. Oh, you foolish Galatians. How would you like to receive that letter in the mail? You foolish Galatians. Have you already forgotten everything I taught you? Get your act together, guys. And John is saying, I'm not doing that. I'm writing to you because you actually do know the truth. This is evidenced by the fact that they did not follow after these antichrists. They did not follow after the false teaching. They stayed behind. So while they might be scared and, and uncertain and discouraged and heartbroken and hurting, John is saying, guys, don't worry. You know the truth. I know that their lies were very convincing, but you know the truth. You already know it. We see that false converts are, are led astray, but true believers are led to stay. False converts want their ears tickled, but true believers want their hearts pricked. False converts want the latest culturally relevant messages. True believers want timeless truths. False converts want you to pander to their felt needs. But true believers want you to deal with their greatest need. False converts want you to tell them how awesome they are. But true believers want to hear how awesome God is. This is the difference between people who are falling away 
to false teaching and those who are staying firm in the faith. John says, I'm not writing this to rebuke you. You know the truth. You, you are true believers. They are false professors, and that's evidenced because they chased a lie, but you have stayed behind clinging to the truth. Let us all take that as a word of encouragement today in a culture and in a world that is quickly sprinting after lies, that if we are holding on to the truth, it is evidence that you know the truth. We know that the truth is Jesus Christ. No lie is of the truth, he says at the end of verse 21. I love this quote from Spurgeon. Not my puppy Spurgeon, but Charles Spurgeon. He said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. It's almost right. What we see is that Satan is smart. He's not going to come and say, hey, come check out this false teaching. He's going to infiltrate with something that almost sounds right. It almost sounds right, but what does John say? No lie is of the truth. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. It doesn't matter how small of a lie you think it is. It doesn't matter how innocent it appears or, or how good it makes you feel. No lie is of the truth. John can say this because, remember, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We see that the kingdom of light this God being light is truth, and the kingdom of darkness is where we find lies. Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies. We learn that Satan is the king of darkness. Therefore, any lie that is not of the truth, because light and dark are un completely incompatible. Lies have nothing in common with the truth no matter how close they are. John says there is no lie that is of the truth. Now, what is this truth that the church knows and believes? We're going to see it here. It's that Jesus is the Christ. The church is built on this confession that Jesus is the Christ, and true believers believe this. Now, we're going to unpack this today, so we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But let us say at the beginning that no lie is of the truth. This means that you cannot get the gospel wrong. It means that you cannot get Jesus wrong. It means that you cannot get the person and work of Jesus even a little bit wrong because no lie is of the truth. Do we understand this this morning? This is going to be a very critical concept to grasp at the beginning because it's going to seem as though we are splitting hairs. But rest assured, John, under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, no lie is of the truth. To obscure Christ is to make a grand error. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So to obscure his person and work is to believe a lie. It is to go a different way. And it is to not have life at all. 
you can diminish, deny, or obscure Jesus by either outright denying him or elevating someone or something right alongside Jesus. John has a word for people like this. Let's look at it. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? John has a really strong word for these people. They're liars. It sounds good. It's really close to the truth. But you're a liar to deny that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what does this mean? How can you recognize false teaching? So that's what we're going to do now. Let's, let's go ahead and look at three characteristics, and there are more, but just to kind of condense it, three characteristics of false teachers from our text. Number one, they abandon sound orthodox teaching. What I mean by that, sound meaning the true teaching, orthodox meaning what Christians have always taught and believed. So many false teachers, or as John calls them, liars, these antichrists, what they do is they present to you some new teaching. I have a fresh anointing. I have a new word for you this morning. Your pastor's been in prayer all night, and I have a fresh word for you. These are all evidences that you're not sticking and holding fast to sound orthodox teaching there are no new truths in the faith any truth anything that is being presented as a new truth is actually just an old lie there are no new truths in the faith the bible has nothing new to say so anytime you hear of this new teaching rest assured it is an old lie It is something that people have been lying about for years. It's just repackaged. It's got a different coat of paint on it. They have a different name for it. Because Satan's getting better and better and better at deceiving. So many heresies begin this way. I love Dr. Stephen Lawson. He says that if it's new, it ain't true. Very very simple and short pithy little statement. If it's new, it ain't true. Keep those words locked in your brain. If you take nothing else from this today, if it's new, it ain't true. This is why John is reinforcing in the minds and hearts of the audience that they already know the truth. Listen, if, if, if someone's coming with this new truth, these, these new teachings, no thank you, I already know the truth. No thank you, I already know Jesus. No, thank you. I already have the spirit of truth within me. Now, let's not mistake this to, to mean that we don't, aren't to grow in truth, that we aren't to grow in our understanding. How many of you know that the truth is deep and profound? We, we know the truth in that we know the person who is truth. We know Jesus. We learned from uh, section uh, 12 through 14 He says, I write to you children because you know the Father. These are newborn babes in Christ. You know the Father already through your profession that Jesus is the Christ. False teachers 
antichrists, liars. They all want to scratch your itching ears. And they cannot do that with sound, orthodox teaching. So they invent something new. Here's a new take. Here's an angle that people haven't considered. That is a dangerous, dangerous, eternally destructive teaching. Number two, they get Jesus wrong. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is what John is saying. He says that no one who denies the Father and the Son. Granted, there are people who have false religions, right? We know uh, the, the Muslims, you know, Buddhists. These are false religions entirely. They've completely made up their own way. That's not really what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who have come into the church. We know that from verse 19, that they went out from us. They were here. They were in the middle of us. They were side by side with us. In today's context, we would say we were on a committee with them. We served side by side with them. We went to potlucks with them, right? We, we shared buckets of chicken with these people. And they went out from us. So these aren't people who are just outside of the church inventing their own religion entirely. Satan's too smart for that. He comes inside the church, presents to you something that's just a little bit off. And that's how false converts are drawn away from the church. They get Jesus wrong. John says in verse 21 that there is no lie is of the truth. And then he says this is the liar. that The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So in other words, here is a lie that is not of the truth, that Jesus is not the Christ. Now let's deal with this. We're going to have to spend a little bit of time unpacking what this statement means. Because on the one hand, doesn't it just kind of seem like anyone could say Jesus is the Christ? Doesn't it kind of seem like people who are false converts or have their own false religion, they wouldn't? But doesn't it just kind of seem like they might, anyone could say this? They could just say it and be lying. After all, they're liars. But here's what it means to deny that Jesus is the Christ. Let's look at John chapter 20, 30 to 31. John gives us the reason why he wrote his gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So there's this concept here that we need to grasp. In the Old Testament, I know nobody in here speaks Hebrew, but we know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Their word for Christ, Christ in the Greek is Christos. And it just means the anointed one, the Messiah. It is the Greek's version of Mashiach, which was from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they were looking for Mashiach. 
This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one, the one who is the promised one, the coming one, the one who would come and take our sins away. But there was a problem. The Israelites at the time of Jesus were under Roman rule. We know this, right? Because Jesus was crucified through the Roman government. They were under Roman rule. And if you remember from Acts chapter 1, they, the disciples are asking Jesus after his resurrection, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? See, this is what they believed about Mashiach, about Messiah, was that he was going to be a political force. He was going to come and restore Israel back to its prominence in the world. You know of King Solomon, of King David, of these glory days for Israel, when they were just the greatest nation, when they, were, they saw prosperity and health and crop yields, etc., etc. And this is what the Jewish people, the Israelites, were looking for, is someone to restore that. But Jesus, the Messiah, Christos, the Mashiach, they're all the same thing. He came to save sinners. Jesus didn't come to restore an earthly kingdom. He came to usher in a heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of God. And this is part of why the religious lead at the time rejected him. We, we want to be a political force. We want to have our kingdom back. We want Israel to be out from under the Roman rule. Today, we might say, we don't want to have to wear masks. We don't want to go back into lockdown. We want COVID-19 to be gone. We want it to disappear. We want to be, have our, our, our debt erased, right? We want all of these things. These are political interests. And this is what they were looking for at that time. So they denied that Jesus was the Mashiach. They denied that Jesus was Christos. Or in English, they denied that Jesus is the Christ. Isaiah 53 Jesus is prophesied, this anointed one is prophesied, who would come and take the sins of his people away. And in that passage, he says that it pleased the Father to crush him. Part of Mashiach's responsibility, or Christos, or the Christ, part of his responsibility, his work on this earth, was to take the sins of his people away. Away to bear the wrath of God Almighty on behalf of his people, thus destroying the works of Satan and establishing his earth, his heavenly kingdom here on earth. He's ushering in the kingdom of God. Turn to Matthew 16 with me. I know this is a really big concept, but we need to wrap our minds around it, to really grasp what he's saying, what it means to deny that Jesus is the Christ. That's what we're working on here. This is to get Jesus wrong, is to deny that Jesus is the Christ. Instead, we want to believe what the church has always believed, what true people of God has, have always believed about Jesus. In Matthew 16, starting at verse 13, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Notice, all of those are great. All of those prophets did a great work for the Lord here on this earth. But it's getting Jesus wrong. Let's keep reading. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are Christos. You are Mashiach, the son of the living God. This is the qualification. What it means to be the Christ is the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Follow me here. This is where the church is built on. Is this confession, this profession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, I will build my church on the rock. Some people falsely say that that means Peter, that he's going to build his church on Peter. No, the rock is the teaching that Jesus is the Christ. That's what the church is built upon, is this confession that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Therefore, this Jesus who walked the earth is able to fulfill all of the prophecies that were prophesied of him throughout the Old Testament. Namely, that he was going to take the sins of his people away. Let's keep reading. Go down to verse 17. I'm sorry, not 17. My eyes are bad. Forgive me. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Are you kidding me? He just got done saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And now he's calling this man Satan? What changed? What he believed about the Christ. You see, first he said, you are the Christ. You are Mashiach. You are the coming one. You are the prophesied one. You are the one who is here to fulfill the prophecies the son of the living God. And then, when Jesus goes on to detail the prophecy from Isaiah 53, that he has to be beaten, he has to bear the sins of his people, he has to absorb the wrath of God. Peter's like, no! I don't want that to happen to you, right? That's what any of us would have said. Jesus, I love you. I, I've been walking with you. I don't want you to go through all of that. Far be it from you, Lord. You're supposed to rule and conquer and dominate and restore the kingdom back to Israel. You're not going to die. Jesus said, no, no, no. You are Satan right now. Or as John would say it, Antichrist. Because you are denying the teaching of what Jesus is supposed to accomplish. So today, what does this look like today? There are people 
Let me, let me just say this very clearly. The reason why we will never sing songs here from Bethel or Elevation or Hillsong is because they get Jesus wrong. It is because they teach that when Jesus was here on this earth, that he was not fully God and fully man. Church, if he was here and he was just a man in right relationship with God, you and I are not saved. We are still waiting for the Messiah to come. We are still waiting for the the Mashiach, the Christos, to come and take our sins away. Notice what Peter said is that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This means that when Jesus was here, he was a man, he was a person, but he was also the Son of God, meaning he was 100% divine. So whenever we deny that Jesus is the Christ, this is what we are denying, and it makes us a liar, it makes us anti-Christ. That's what John is saying. This is difficult, is it not? They are liars who deny that Jesus is the Christ. But you'll notice our third point is that they're very deceptive. Going back to our text in 1 John, verse 26, he said, I write these things, these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. They are trying to deceive you. There's a reason why those types of churches make awesome music. Why? Because they're trying to deceive you. They want to draw you away. They want you to believe something that is not true. Thus, you would fall in verse 19, leaving the faith. Leaving sound, orthodox teaching. Does this mean that their music's not super catchy? Of course not. It's great. Those songs get stuck in your head forever, don't they? But they're trying to deceive you. And is this not, after all, what Satan's first attack against a human was from Genesis 3? Did God really say? Did God really say that, though? How do we say that today? I don't know that you really have to take it that serious. I don't know that it really needs to go that far. I think that everyone can just kind of make up their own, figure out their own path. And scripture flies in the face of that and says, no, there's one way. There is one truth. There is one faith. There is one baptism. That's it. And everything else outside of that is a lie. And they're trying to deceive you. But this was supposed to happen. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. What does that mean? This teaching is going to be so deceptive that it will almost get people who are really saved to fall away. Because we start to question 
well, I mean, did God really say? And there's Satan. Yes, that's my favorite question. Did God really say? No, he didn't. He didn't say that. This is what he said. And we fall away in droves, and it proves that we were never in the faith. Are you feeling the weight of this? You see that false teaching, antichrists, never come up to you and say, knock, knock, knock. Hello. Hi, I'm the antichrist. How are you? I'd love to make you fall away from the faith today. How's that? Do you have 10 minutes to spare so I can tell you about Satan? What would we do? We would run away. But if he comes to you in the form of a nicely packaged sermon, a really good-sounding music, awesome light show, well-written books, best-selling books in the Christian bookstores, and then all your friends around you are believing it, what do we do? Well, I don't know. Did, did God really say? Did, I don't know. I'm confused. And that's when John says, I'm writing to you because you already know the truth. Don't follow for all of these lies. You already know what they're trying to sell you. Don't buy it. This is Satan's oldest trick. Now, does this mean that every new song that's written is bad? Of course not. Does this mean that every best-selling book is bad? Of course not. But it means that we need to exercise extreme discernment. That just because it's in Mardell does not mean we pick it up and say, look at the book I found. But that we take the time to examine the author. Who is this person? Let me look it up on Google. Does anyone in here Google things? Two people, wow. That's amazing. I'm going to assume that more people in here Google. Because everyone does. How do you make chicken that doesn't taste bad? Right? How do I stop burning things in the microwave? We Google things all the time. Google something worthwhile. Who is this person that's got this book that everybody's buying? Who is this preacher on Facebook that everybody's listening to? Let me look it up. Let me investigate this because I don't want to be deceived because there is a real enemy out there who is working night and day tirelessly to deceive me and I must be on guard. Three deterrents to false teaching and we'll move through these at a quicker pace. Number one, the first thing that needs to be said, it's not on the list, but the first thing that needs to be said is that you have to have the Holy Spirit within you. You are ripe for deception if you are not a true believer. Look at it. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. If you have not been anointed by the Holy One, what this means is that you have the Holy Spirit within you. It doesn't mean that some false teacher who calls himself the Holy One anoints you. It means the Holy One is Jesus. If Jesus has not sent his Spirit into you, causing you to be born again, transformed, and regenerated, you are ripe for deception. But thanks be to God that Jesus made a way. 
Thanks be to God that Jesus did bear our sins, that Jesus is indeed the Christ. And when we put our faith in him, we are saved. Number one on our list here is for you to hold fast to sound orthodox teaching. Whereas false teachers abandon sound orthodox teaching, the way to defend against that is to hold fast to sound orthodox teaching. Look at verse 24. He says it right here. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. From the beginning, what has always been said, what has always been taught about Jesus, about the faith, about the church, about Christianity, about giving, about healing, about miracles, all of this stuff. Hold fast to what has always believed. In other words, don't chase after a new teaching. Don't chase after the latest cultural trends. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in your heart and hold fast to it. Let me say this as an aside. I didn't plan to say this, but one thing that is a new teaching that is drawing a lot of people away is the social justice gospel. It is a false gospel. It is a lie. It is of the Antichrist reject it and run from it and if you see teachers who are teaching of the social justice gospel run for the hills away from that because it will deceive you it is very deceptive it makes you believe well if i don't buy into this then i don't care about people that's not true The true gospel, when you're born again, you are given a supernatural concern for the lost. Because the Spirit of God is leading you to do this. Antichrists and their teaching are too smart to tell you what they are doing. They don't just start a new religion. They work their way into the church, into the pulpit. They call themselves pastor. And they teach and preach a new brand of Christianity that is very appealing. And it sounds so near to the true version that it's utterly convincing. So how do we protect ourselves is to hold fast to what the church has always believed. This is what Christians throughout the ages have always believed. Now, there is room for certain things to disagree on, but not about Jesus being the Christ. Not about salvation. Number two, grow in the truth of Christ. Verse 27, he says, The anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. Does this mean don't listen to any teaching? Of course not. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, we know that God gave as a gift to the church teachers. We need to learn. What he's saying is you don't need people to teach you new things about salvation. Because you already know the truth about salvation. You already know that Jesus is the Christ. I have on the screen there John 17, 7 and 16, 13. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. This is what the Holy Spirit does within you, is he guides you into truth. This is why true believers love to hear the truth. 
is because the Spirit of God within them is leading them into the truth. If you do not read your Bible, if you don't study the Scriptures, you are wide open for deceit. You leave yourself on an island with no one to protect you. There is a reason why Paul calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. Because you must protect yourself with God's word. This is how it works. And lastly, trust the Spirit's work. John 17.3 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 14.26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Listen, it can be easy to be afraid of falling prey to false teaching. It can, because it's everywhere. And a lot of your friends and family are listening to it. A lot of my friends and family are listening to it. So how do we protect ourselves is we got to hold fast to sound orthodox teaching. We have to learn and grow in the knowledge of Christ. And most importantly, we have to trust the Spirit's work within us. Philippians 1.6 says that I am convinced that he who began a good work in you, he will finish it. He will not leave it undone. He will not leave you on your own. He will not say, go figure it out, kid. You got it from here. He will finish what he started in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you teach us to be guided into all truth, Lord. We thank you that you do protect us from the evil one, and we pray that you continue to protect us, Lord. We pray that you would help us to exercise discernment in our everyday life, to reject things that do not hold Christ as supreme, and to cling to that which holds Christ as supreme, that Jesus may get his reward for his sacrifice and be glorified among us. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.